Do you like surprises? Oh, good. Well, this morning we have an unexpected, extraordinary story about an older man who met something that was rather more than he bargained for. So let's stand to hear God's word. It's Luke chapter 1 and from verse 5 to 25. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. Let's hear God's word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is God's word. You may be seated. They say that old age is just a number. Tell that to your knees or your back. Of course, there is 
a part of which um, age is a matter of perspective. It's always amused me when people describe Cottage Church as an old church because it was founded in 1861. Uh, My high school was founded in 1558. It is a matter of perspective. If you're 15, to some extent, it's a matter of perspective. If you're 15 years old, a 25-year-old feels practically ancient. And uh, when you make your way to the retirement village to become the world's champion pickleball player, um, if you're only 70 years old, you're a newbie, young, just getting going. There are elements to which age is a matter of perspective. But that said, certain parts of aging obviously have biological repercussions. Zachariah was old and his wife was advanced in age. There were certain biological realities whereby it was very, very, very unlikely that they were going to have a baby. And so, from that side of things, we have a lot of sympathy with Zachariah. What an extraordinary thing to be told. You're going to have a baby. How on earth could, especially as they hadn't been able to uh, have a child so far in their lives, for their prayers to be answered at this point must have seemed, well, extraordinary, astonishing. Um, beyond the biological norms. But as Luke tells this story, actually, what he's saying is Zachariah should have had certainty. You remember from last week, uh, Luke's uh, gospel is designed to give certainty to those who have heard about the Christian things but are not yet fully committed. Uh, Perhaps they're wobbling uh, in, in his day. Of course, there are many different religions like there are in our day. Many different points of view about the ultimate meaning of life. And Theophilus is uh, being given this book and all the readers of his book that Luke is writing in order that they might have certainty of salvation so that then Luke's readers might go out and tell the gospel to others, have that confident commitment, not be wavering anymore, be all in. And here's Zechariah. And the way Luke is telling the story is he's the person, the kind of person you would expect to have certainty, but he does not. Whereas the people, you would expect them not to have certainty, but they do. And what Luke is saying is, uh, yes, I'm going to present you with the facts. I'm going to give you the information. I'm writing this ordered account so you can research it for yourselves because I've done a lot of the groundwork for you. I'm going to present you the data so you can have certainty. But at the end of the day, there's a kind of person who has all that information, all that data, all those facts, but it's not enough. Something else is required And indeed, something else is far more important. Let's see what that is as Luke 
tells a story. First of all, we have this person, this kind of person, who we would expect to have certainty, but actually does not. And of course, that is Zechariah. Why would we expect Zechariah to have certainty? Well, first of all, he's introduced for us as a priest, a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah, which means that he too descended from Aaron. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. These, these are part of the uh, priestly caste. They are Ordained, he's an ordained man, as we would say in our in our religious uh, background. He's he's a priest. He's trained. He he's the kind of person that you would expect to be able to hear the reverberations of the biblical story when when it happened to him, of course, of Abraham and Sarah who had a baby in their advanced old age. He should have known that. It should have been right here in his head and in his heart. He's a priest. But so often it's the case, isn't it, that, that the ordained, the priestly class, don't get it. They don't have certainty. They become rather flaccid, weak-willed, uncommitted, professional. Oh, they can run a perfect service for you, but not really all in. Here's a priest. He doesn't have certainty. Think of church history. John Wesley, who indeed went around on a preaching tour before later he finally got it and had an encounter with God through God's word and therefore had assurance and certainty after he had been ordained, after he'd preached. He was a priest. But what is more, he was uh, pious. Uh, we're told, verse 6, they are both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. He's a good priest. He's a good man. Both of them are good, pious, and not uh, pious in, in the fake way. They are doing what is right before the Lord. Publicly, they're pious. Privately, they're pious. This is exactly the kind of person you would expect to have certainty. But he does not. Now, not only is he uh, pious, uh, he, um, as the story unfolds, uh, he's now in the temple of the Lord, uh, he's in the sanctuary. Uh, we know um, that uh, from the text here that he's been chosen. And uh, the historical background that we get from an ancient historian called Josephus leads most scholars to conclude that at those days there were tens of thousands of priests and that the way that the rotation worked and the randomization of who was selected to to serve at the altar of incense um, uh, was such that because there were so many priests that this was a moment that would not occur again in his life and probably never occurred before. He was at the pinnacle of his career, you could say, as a priest. He was in the sanctuary, at the altar, on the platform, giving an eye-opener <laughs> 
right by the pulpit. And yet, he didn't have certainty. He's in the holy place where surely a priest would expect to have a dramatic encounter with God. But then he has a dramatic encounter with God and he says, how, how can I be sure? How can I know this? Uh, not only is he in the temple and pious and a priest, he's also a praying man. The angel points this out, doesn't he? Uh, verse 13, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Uh, obviously, offering uh, the, the, the altar and the, 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 uh, the offering of incense at the altar was itself a symbol of prayer as the incense goes up. It's a, a way of reminding us of praying. It's, it itself is a symbol of prayer. But to my way of reading the text at least, it seems pretty clear that the angel is saying that Zachariah has been praying and now his prayer has been answered. It's not like he's just one time prayed. Your prayer has been heard. But perhaps in addition, he was actually now finally at this moment at the altar praying that God would intervene in his people's lives, praying that God would finally do something, praying for the restoration of Israel. He's a praying man. He's a pious man. He's a priest. He's in the temple. Surely he will have certainty. Surely he will know the truth of anyone. Yet he does not. Even more extraordinary, of course, is that he actually saw an angel. And not just any angel, the angel Gabriel. And yet he's not sure. How shall I know this? How can I be sure of this? It must have astonished uh, Gabriel, and I think you can pick that up in what he says, verse 19. After Zechariah said, I'm an old man, my wife is advanced in years, how can this be possible? How can I know this? And then verse 19, the, the angel says, I am Gabriel. <laughs> like, what do you mean, how can you know this? I stand in the presence of God. What else do you want, Zechariah? Gabriel was uh, uh, sent in the Old Testament to Daniel to tell him the good news of the restoration of Israel. The might, God is mighty, Gabriel means. He's a messenger of good news. Again, Zechariah should have known about Gabriel. And even if he didn't recognize the angel as Gabriel, because the descriptions of angels are pretty minuscule in the Bible, once he was told, I'm, a, I'm the angel Gabriel, surely he would say, oh, oh, of course. And anyway, he's an angel. He's seeing an angel. And yet he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have certainty. But I think in the text, most remarkable of all is that uh, he has been given a direct word from God. Uh, you hear the word uh, in verses um, 13 uh, through to 17. Don't be afraid, for your prayers be heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. There's this word from God. And angel, uh, the angel says, verse 19, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. 
And he didn't believe, Zechariah didn't believe the angel's words. Verse 20. Most remarkable of all, I think, in the text, Luke is saying, Zechariah is hearing a message from God. And yet he says, how can I know? I remember one time when I was um, sharing the gospel over a number of years with a friend of mine uh, when we were teenagers. And at one point as I shared the gospel, you know, over a cup of coffee, as we were playing sport together, just talking about Jesus, and, and he was close to becoming a real Christian. And I remember him saying to me, Josh, I think I would become a real Christian if God sent me a messenger. And I looked at him and said, do I count? <laughs> we have messengers all around us. And we have the Word in front of us. Well, Zachariah should have had certainty, but he did not. But then there are those who we would expect not to have certainty, but they do. And those, those are the people. Um, the people, we're told, are outside. Uh, they're praying too. Uh, verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were praying. but They're praying, but they're outside. They're outside looking in. And yet, um, in verse 22, when Zechariah does finally come out, and they've been waiting so long, um, we're told they realized that he had seen a vision of the temple. Now, perhaps they don't have full certainty yet, but they're on the trajectory. They realize that God is doing something, and yet they're outside. They don't see the angel. They don't hear his words. They're outside. That's so often is that the case. You may think to yourself, I'm here at Cottage Church, and I'm an outsider. It could well be, my friend, that it is through you that God is going to do a new work. Isn't that the pattern so often in God's economy that he chooses the weak things of this world, the broken things, the things that the world says are foolish, the shame, the wise. So often the same is going on today with, uh, I was meeting with a uh, a missiologist uh, just a few weeks ago who's telling me how in London, uh, the church in London is growing quite rapidly. The last 10, 15 years. How is that? Well, we could say, using these terms, uh, from the outsiders. London is a very global city. There are people from all over the world there. Iranians coming to faith, the church growing. Africans being missionaries uh, to, to London. The church on the outside is booming. 
So often the case. Don't think because I'm an outsider, God cannot use me. Actually, it's exactly those people that God so often uses. But not only are there outsiders, I think most remarkably of all, why we would expect them not to have certainty, not to realize, as the text says, that, that Zechariah has seen a vision, is because they hear so little information. I, mean, I think it's almost, must have been extraordinary to have been there for, uh, to witness it, don't you think? When they're waiting for Zechariah and he finally comes out, he's unable to speak to them, verse 22, and he keeps making signs to them and remains mute. Well, talk about, uh, talk about an ineffective preacher. He cannot actually say anything. And yet, they realize God is at work. I remember one um, king uh, uh, from history who had a court preacher. I think this king was probably a Christian, though, of course, given the mythology around royalty who knows but um, in one um, historical work I was reading about him I came across this astonishing story I mean it was I think a a true story because it was in a historical work he was listening to a preacher in his court so the kings in those days had court preachers and this king who I think was probably a real Christian was getting frustrated with the inadequacy of the preacher who was preaching to the king and the king interrupted his sermon and said this to the preacher either make sense or come down from that pulpit to which the preacher memorably replied I will do neither Well, talk about not making sense. He's mute. Probably, we think, again, from people, you know, Josephus, that after the incense offering, they came, the priests would come outside and then bless the people using the priestly blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. Maybe he had a word in season as well, who knows, but the, the, the priestly blessing. But instead of being able to voice it, he could just... Mouthed. And they heard the word in their heads. And yet they realized it's not the facts, it's not the data. There's something else that is required that is far, far more important. What is it? Well, the angel tells us it's faith. What does Zechariah not have? Faith. Uh, He says, uh, verse 20, because you did not believe. That's what um, Zechariah was lacking. He didn't believe. And on and on again, as um, I think the women's uh, Bible study will be going through Luke in their study next semester. We're just doing the first couple of chapters. But if we were going to do a whole series on Luke, on and on, Luke makes this point that it is faith that determines 
Um, the most famous story is a little later when he, uh, Jesus um, has the uh, woman of ill repute, probably a prostitute, and he uses her as an example to the Pharisee, and he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Faith. It's so easy, isn't it, to think that it's cleverness, uh, data, information. Even in the realm of science, it, it's pretty... Uh, this Thomas Kuhn, uh, 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 a, one, the great philosopher of science, called them paradigm shifts. You can have the data, but you've got to put it into a frame. What we would call... Faith, like I, now I see it. Or the ancient church used to call it in Latin, and I, won't, I will translate it for you so we don't have tongue speaking this morning, untranslated, but uh, credo ut intelegam, faith seeking understanding, or I believe that I might understand. I... We think it's cleverness, don't we? Or data, or I mean, even even Albert Einstein would say, "I have no special." He said, "I have no special talents. I just have a passionate curiosity." And the story goes that was once a dean of a university. Um, it's a little dad joke story, I suppose, but. The dean at the university said that an angel appeared to him in front of the faculty meeting and offered him uh, three choices, either have infinite wisdom, infinite money, or infinite power. And the dean chose, of course, infinite, infinite knowledge, infinite money, or infinite power. And, of course, the dean, being a university person, chose infinite knowledge. And the joke is that after he'd gone away and he'd been given infinite knowledge and the rest of the faculty said, well, now you've got infinite knowledge, tell us, tell us your insight. And the joke is the dean looked at his faculty members and said, well, here's my infinite knowledge. The answer is I should have taken the money. <laughs> but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you need faith. You say faith is a gift. Well, fine. Theologically, I would agree with you. Faith is a gift. But if it's a gift, think of the Christmas tree. Think of your time as a child when there's a gift under the tree at Christmas. Are you going to say, because it's a gift, I will not open it? Open the gift. Believe. Imagine with me, if you will, uh, three, uh, imagine if, with me, if you will, two college students um, sitting on a park bench. And they're, they're best friends, these two uh, female college students. And it's spring, but there's no ring. There's no ring by spring. And one of the female college students says to the other, I'm just not sure whether he loves me. And her friend says, well, why, why is that? He said, well, 
When it was raining the other day, he did come and pick me up in his um, Prius car. That was great. I said, well, okay, yeah, that's pretty good. And each week on Friday, he does give me a dozen red roses. Well, that's a pretty good sign. (laughs) Okay, that's good. And every time he sees me, he does say he loves me. That's good. Why on earth are you not sure that he loves you? It's a long pause, as the friend thinks. I just want him to prove it. The Lord God has sent you a baby. He has sent you a preacher. He has sent you his word. And what is required is trust. Then you'll have certainty of salvation. Maybe so. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for Zachariah, and we, we do have empathy for him. It must have been an extraordinary thing to have heard. Yet, of course, he really should have had certainty, as the angel tells him. And, Lord, for many of us, uh, whether we are old or young, and next week we'll see the example of someone who's very young who has a messenger from an angel. Uh, for many of us, Lord, we have been around church things, and here we are in the sanctuary of the temple. And so we pray, Lord, that we would combine the data, the facts, your word, with faith. Help us to trust you. To trust you, Lord, that you have a, a plan for our lives. To trust you, Lord, that if we give our lives to you, you will look after us, that you love us. To trust you, Lord, that you are good. And we ask, therefore, Lord, that you would save us as we put our faith in you and give us certainty, confidence, conviction to take your gospel to others who need to believe as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.